Welcome to Mixed Company, bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation. We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company. Um, I predict, this is my prediction, I predict more representation in 2018. Knowing to Gary's point earlier, there is there are so many different complexities for people of color. Like it's not just white and black. Like you are, you can be black and Latino. You can be black and Caribbean and have no idea of what a Latino goes through. You can be black but not necessarily identify as black because you you know your family and you come from the continent of Africa where the idea of race is completely different. Or you can come from Spain as as a true Hispanic and not identify with being Latino and recognizing that there's a difference and wanting people to acknowledge that there is a difference. Baby, they told me we do not wear track suits with our parliament. I said, oh, that's what they were trying to say about the Latin government. I said, oh, let me mind my business and not ask you any more questions. Um, but, like, I think we are starting to understand that the stories are different and more people are wanting to see more of themselves and not just themselves at face value. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And I'm also looking forward to being in the meetings where I get to be the person to bring that up in a briefing. Have you considered that, you know, certain things are segmented differently? Yeah, I just want to give a little shout out to, to what you're saying because I think it's very important. And it's just all full circle right now because, like, Gary and I and, and Bold Culture are actually trying to work together on something very soon that really does talk about that. Um, I've been seeing the rise of Central American Twitter. Shout out to you guys, too. I know. Really you're out here. Yeah, it's dope to see that um, that hashtag and kind of just that culture coming up and really reclaiming that. But I agree with you as well. I just wanted to give that little shout out to Bold Culture because I, I love what Bold Culture is doing and what Gary is, is on, you know, helping them kind of formulate as they as they figure out who they are and their identity as an organization is that you know, they're they're not trying to come in and again assimilate. They're trying to do things very differently. And so thinking black paper was great and it really went through some regionalities. But I think one of the most misunderstood uh, groups is the Latinx community. I think it's completely mm -hmm. misunderstood and people don't understand how much regionality goes into that and also identity um, as well. So I think uh, that's really important what you were saying is that this little old, oh, we checked the Hispanic box. Like that's not going to fly and it's going to, again, like I said, as we coast to this place of being a more diverse, um, you know, majority diverse country, those things are going to be unacceptable. You know, and we're already getting there so I would love to beat it there and, and start doing this work now before we even get there but just want to give a little shout out to bold culture because i love what you guys are doing and hopefully we can work on some projects together that tackle specifically that for the latinx community we are out here and, and a quick shout out to so many places that when they give you like that that eo part of the come on now. of the application and they hit you with that blacks not Hispanic or Latino, mm -hmm. that white, not Hispanic or Latino, and they're making you choose. I'm like, listen, I've been marking I multiple boxes you. my whole life. I see you, but then also like the few companies out there that are like, okay, your race is this and your ethnicity, like how you mm -hmm. identify, mm -hmm. so that they're actually showing a yep. level of inclusion at the beginning. Yep. But full culture going to talk about that. 
It's gonna, I, think, I really that's do gonna, feel like that's, that's going to be, be a thing. Be. That's going to start to be a, a bigger thing next year. So I look forward to being a part of that conversation because i got a lot to say. You know what it's like filling out your college applications and not knowing what the hell to write and what's going to get you the goddamn scholarship? Like, guys, I'm pretty sure I missed out on quite a few scholarships because I did not mark boxes accurately. I will just mark all the boxes. I hit an O and hit all, what? <laughs> all the boxes. Yes, I identify as all of these. <laughs> but so where I was going with with having the opportunity to tell more stories. So my ain't shit for 2017 is rather recent, and that's because I feel that you guys are probably going to touch on um, the other things that happened because there were great things. But I think it's important for us to keep in mind um, net neutrality has been like a big conver. Let's say a sub big conversation because there are other t- there are two other tiers of conversations happening with like sexual harassment racial discrimination slash the presidency. Um, (laughs) It's the same thing. Um, But I feel like that's something that we should probably be paying more attention to. So I I just, I feel like, I feel like when a middle class starts to evolve or, or to get larger, corporations get, large corporations get very nervous and they look for the next, Thing to a uh, cut your, pro- your cut your um, profits and b raise their pro- profits is what they've cut. Um, obviously, there's like a whole bunch of. I mean, you guys can go on CNET. You guys can check uh, MSNBC, CBS World News, and and read everything about net neutrality. Um, and for those of you that don't know, net neutrality is essentially a policy passed by FCC back in 2015. They've been talking about it forever, but essentially a lot allows common people or anybody to have equal access to uh, the internet, quite frankly, having access to the World Wide Web. Um, in one face, probably, you know, some people are, I don't care, like, it's just the internet. It's just, you know, it's the internet, you find whatever you're looking for, and it's Google. For those of us that are out here trying to make a name for ourselves, trying to have access to more money for ourselves, that that identify our our lives uh, by how we are able to access information, um, this can really fuck us up. Like this is kind of a big deal. They are looking. Essentially, what happens is um, the internet becomes a pay-for-play platform where if you have more money, you get faster access or even access at all. Uh, if you have no little to no money, you either don't get access or you can be out here dialing up to AOL, RIP to the AIM little yellow man. But you can have slow access that does not pr- afford you the same, um, not say access again, but doesn't afford you the same uh access to information, and we know that the reason why so many people were able to start businesses after and during the recession is because of the internet, why um, quite so many of us working in advertising and in marketing, when we just say, you know, we're really not here for the bullshit with the agencies, I'm going to quit and start my own shit, and literally can and thrive, it's because of that we have the same access to information as a large corporation such as AT&T or a large corporation such as, hell, I don't know, Verizon, whoever, (laughs) whoever, um, where that puts us, if they do pass 
a policy to either amend or completely remove the uh, net neutrality policies that were passed a while back. Um, we could be paying extra money to do things that we do now for for regular, that we don't even think about Google searching, getting your homework done for those of you that um, have needed to access the free internet uh, in New York City or even within lower income uh, housing developments, like, it's cutting us off, and we all know that the internet, like, we need the internet to survive. Like, I, we need the internet to survive based on the amount of information that we can get. It's not necessarily as close to water and air um, and rice and chicken for those of us that need that to live, but it definitely is a close fist priority, um, and, and that's how Black Twitter was able to, to grow and, and give people a platform to speak out against uh, practices that were not benefiting us from large corporations, and it's also how many of us are making our money. Hell, it's how we get this podcast on SoundCloud every other week, and we can't do that if we got to pay extra because my rent is the only, is is raising every year, so I have to figure out which expenses I need. Um, so I'm just saying, what is your name? Actually, let me not say that. I'm gonna tell y'all why later. This is why the FCC can totally kiss my ass with trying to repeal net neutrality. So that was our ancient either as well. But um, here's my here's my stance about net neutrality. A lot of if you guys work in the industry, you guys have probably touched the Verizon business at any point. I don't know. The idea of net neutrality affects education because the internet makes these avenues free and available. You can learn, especially and in it's not um, divided by any of your social, of your economic status. But from a corporation, they've been trying to do this for a long time. They've been trying. It's how cable companies work, and we say how quickly I cut, I cut my cord. <laughs> but it limits, I mean, it limits education. It limits, you know, knowledge and communities, as you said, Kai. But from a advertising perspective, this is a good thing for them. Please do tell. Because with net neutrality, at the end of the day, people are trying to make money. And a Verizon can make more money. A Verizon can pay, can can favorite other companies to be in our visible view. So if you pay, let's say you pay the highest package, and then I have partners, let's say I have a Netflix, I see a whole bunch of Netflix ads, I can, I can read that. It's measurable because I paid for those spaces. Oh, you're talking about from data yeah. and the data that Correct. businesses can collect. So yeah. from, you know, it's a hard place when you work in advertising because, you know, it's hard to get measurable, paid, you know, reads because the Internet is so vast and free. When you can control it, you know, it's easier to make money off of it and it's easier to, to get, you know, your target, your segment. That's only good for big business. Though. But that's what we work in. Right, but here, here's here's what I would argue on that point, because that any sort of windfall of money for an advertiser at that point is only going to be short term, because eventually when you try to control something, people are going to rebel. That's one thing that you can count on every single time. So if they want to go ahead and just try to make this quick money so that they will either 
um, start losing money after a while or to the point where they might not exist because if if we're talking about Verizon and they're trying to make more money, of course, we understand that businesses need to make money. We already understand that. But if you are going to make more money by stopping me from getting what I need, guess what you're not going to get from me? My money. Advertisers, part of the part of the problems I see in the whole game of advertising is the fact that the industry itself is trying to keep control over something that they have never controlled ever. Advertisers think that they control the story, the narrative, and most importantly, the money. For a while, they did control the story. For a while, they controlled the narrative. They have never controlled the money because you are asking someone to give you their money. Now that they don't control the story, they don't control the narrative, they don't control the distribution of the content anymore, they can't control that, they're trying to hold on to some control of money that they never had. Part of the reason why so many people are talking about this is because they know that it's not going to be good. If you're going to go and just get money from the elite, Verizon's not a luxury company. If you're a luxury company and you're working within a closed ecosystem, then that makes sense for me. But if you're trying to, or if you say you're trying to um, supply something for everyone, if you um, take supply away from the people who need it the most or could potentially have the hardest time getting it, that's going to trickle up to people who are like, nah, this ain't cool. Yeah, I can do it. It's, it's going to be okay for me. But what about my friend over here? What about my child who can't do it right now? What about my child who won't be able to do it after a while? What about my friend's child? Like, looking at things through su at sh in, in such short-term moments, it doesn't make sense. If anything, Verizon should try be trying to do something to be on the side of net neutrality and say, we're going to build more, we're going to provide more infrastructure, we're going to do more things so that everybody can have access, then that money that they put out to do that, they will get it 10, 20-fold in the future because they're actually providing a service for people that people are going to appreciate. When you do that, you don't lose people. Everyone starts coming to you. And you don't have to do as much. You don't have to worry about the advertising. You don't have to worry about all these things. If you provide a system for all these things to happen and for everyone to be able to have access to it, that's how you make money. That's how you make money in a sustainable way instead of trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to make money now? How are we going to make money right now? Because that's going to backfire at some point. But I think now in this, people who are wanting to make this happen, it's all short term. Yeah, that's what I. But think. I also feel like the people that want to make this happen, and then I'll stop talking about this because I just ever. <laughs> I feel like the people that want to make this happen are the people that want to make a point about um, government oversight in um, in big business. Like this is literally just dude coming through and saying, we don't want any of the government's attention paid to us. You need to get out of our business. Like this is this is conservatism at its best, 
that has the potential, as we've seen with the 45th administration, that has the potential to increasingly fuck shit up down the line. So it sounds cool now that, like, we want to deregulate, 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 and everyone's bringing up the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, what if these big companies decide that they want to start to censor what I see because I'm buying into this ISP. No, no, we won't do that, but you can. Right. The same way we felt like, oh, no, 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 people would never vote for a racist, sexist, completely un- unintelligent and, and, and illiterate idiot, but we did. Like, you never know. So I don't think for anybody that this is a good thing. I think that this is it's spiteful. And I also feel like because we're so informed as we are now, as a culture now, what this is going to do to Gary's point is just backfire on everybody. I can't eat, you not eating. And that's what I feel like net, Like this idea of repealing net neutrality will uh, evolve. I'm against it. I just you sure I am against <laughs> <laughs> I'm against it, but I have to think about that what if because of what you gonna do with my money if if you can't get no more of it if that's the last dollar anybody at ever the end of the day you. I still limit you from moving forward because I have siphoned what you could have learned. Mm. Lord of the flies. I'm not going to go as far as to say that it's going to stop people from learning. Yeah. Okay. It's going to put a roadblock into the way that things are being done. Mm-hmm. But if you kind of just take a look at all the people in this room and think about the people that we must have come from, they've been trying to do this for people who look like us for a real long time. Right. Like, so we're still here. So a way will be found. And once that way is found, it makes the other way obsolete. Like like I said before, business is doing this whole thing where it's short-term, short-term win, short-term win, short-term win. Companies are not sustainable that way. They have to think long-term. And it's a mistake. I mean, yes, you want to have some, you know, some campaigns that are just a short-term win, fine. You don't want to put all of your proverbial eggs into that short-term basket, though. You... Your job as someone who has a business is to not only make money, but figure out how to do it in a way that's sustainable. What they're talking about now is not sustainable. Who else got some ain't shit for 2017? Anybody can take it. (laughs) I mean, mine is the tax bill, but that's not really aligned with this show. (laughs) First of all, talk about non-sustainable. How are you going to pass a 500-page um, book in an hour? Let's not even go there. That's ain't shit. And you want to add notes in the margins. <laughs> I can't even get that past a client. Like, for real? <laughs> your, client isn't the, your client isn't the president of the United States and the Senate and, the, and Congress. So. I mean, that's just the system working. If they wanted somebody to read it, then they would have made sure that people could read it. I mean, I think overall the the ancient is just I don't know nothing specific comes to mind right now because it was just like every week there was just something that was just like unbelievable. Um, but I would probably say um, I mean I think it's just the government saying shit right now, um, just as as a whole. Um, I think this is the first time, and it's probably because 
this is the first time we've all been adults. Um, <laughs> where we've <laughs> where we've actually had to care um, about what's going on because it's affecting our taxes. Like it's not our parents' taxes; it's our money, um, which we're very emotional about. Um, and I think you know, for me, that's just that's just it. Um, as somebody who's like freelancing and about to like apply for healthcare, like the government ain't shit. Like it's just. <laughs> Uh, broad stroke, like I don't know. Like to me, that's that's it. Uh, there was there was definitely a bunch of shit that happened this year, um, industry-wise, that that went down. But nothing seems to be coming to mind right now. But I think in the same breath, just kind of following Cindy Gallo, um, Gallup, sorry, um, the last couple of weeks post the three percent conference after she told everyone to you know, hit her up if they were experiencing sexual sexual harassment and just watching her feed blow up multiple times a day because of all the shit that's happening. I mean, to me, that's, that's kind of ain't shit. Cause, and I think it's also a good follow-up to the, the last podcast, the last episode where reading through those stories and the recounts of these women, I've never really witnessed it firsthand so to like to read it um and know that that is a woman's experience going into an office because it's almost like your second home a little bit right because you the office is the place where you spend the second most amount of time like you're with these people about equal amount of time as, as you are with your family so to know that women are like going to work and dealing with dudes who just like literally just to fault for trash <laughs> like I don't, I don't even understand um that would that would probably be like the biggest ain't shit for this for this year just kind of like realizing that a lot of my male counterparts are just um trash yeah <laughs> i mean which is which is which is interesting because like when we were guys now we were talking at three percent and i was like well you know um I expect certain dudes to be trash because I'm from Brooklyn. I grew up hip hop era. Like we were not learning about feminism and and women's rights and things of that nature. So for the most part, we were trash. Like, but then you you start growing up and you start working in corporate America and um you kind of expect a different set of rules to be played out and not the same ones that you you and your boys are playing on the street corner. Um, so I would probably say that men, men are probably, they're, they're the yes. ancient, they're the yes. yes. <laughs> no shame. I mean, like you know what, it's, I, I think it's not even one of those things where it needs a caveat. It's just like, at this point, and, and I apply the same rules to white people where if you're not actively, proactively, um, working to not oppress, um, and not marginalize a group that you were a part of marginalizing and oppressing, then you fall on the side of trash. And that's just like the way that it works. And I feel the same way for white people where it's, you know, if you're not actively working to dismantle racism um, and biases and discrimination, then chances are you're going to fall on the side of trash because when it's systematic, you're automatically a part of the system that is doing the oppressing. So. Men, trash this year. We could do better. This 2018, and that's—I mean, that's—that's. That's, 
I think that's also the you know the goal of this podcast is where it's not and backing up to what we were talking about where it's not just you know cancel season it's it's also about learning and growing and developing so if you if you get that pang in your stomach when someone says you're trash or someone you know points out an action that you're um that you're guilty of you know that pang isn't for you to like double down and be double trash it's to grow and learn from your mistakes and do better the next time around. And um, to kind of go into what could, I guess, what could be part of or a way that men could be trash, essentially, right? Because there's so many ways that men could be oh, trash. Yeah. There, there's layers, levels. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the situational, too, you know. But just, okay, so we're going to go to the industry. Okay, we all know the Pepsi ad that came out. We all know that, right? I'm not even going to give that trash. Because what I'm going to give trash is the reaction to it. Because recently, the person who was the president of the um, Global Beverage Group over there talked about how (coughs) that ad was like the roughest moment in his career and all of this. And then, and then, talked about how when you see something like that happen, you should have sympathy for oh. the people who oh. put that together. I'm sorry, that hurt your feelings. <laughs> so, you go ahead and you do something wrong for whatever reason. And now what you should get is sympathy for doing wrong? No. You should be held accountable, and then you go and try to figure out how to fix it. Like it's, it's, not that, it's really not that hard. Like you can't, you know, you can't go in, uh, you know, go into this huge seminar, this whole speech thing, and you know, buy one of the trade magazines and say things like that, and then be like, oh yeah, well, I'm good now, right? No. Not not one bit. You know? It's like you messed up. We're gonna tell you you messed up. Now what what can we do to fix it? Not oh you messed up. Oh well you know you tried it no. No, that's not how any of this works. But that is an amount of privilege that men have in general. And then specifically white men have that as well. You know, so we need to start getting away from that. We need to start really recognizing the privilege that we do have in order to um, fix situations because the situation can only really be fixed by the, the people with privilege. They're the only ones who can actually fix the situation. Yeah, and I, I think that's, that's, that's a really good point um, because and, and to keeping it in the context of this industry. I think we talk about diversity and inclusion a lot, and they're really in echo chambers where, you know, we're talking to each other. We're talking to other, you know, black people are going to give, you know, a church salute when you say something that's really provocative. Um, and so I think for, for 2018, it's it's really, and you know, we're talking about this too, where we're trying to get out of this echo chamber where we're just keep, we just keep talking to the same people because at the end of the day, like, 
for us, it's a little bit of relive, reliving trauma, and that's and we really can't fix it. Like we're trying to put put these compelling arguments on the table to uh, hopefully um, touch the hearts of some uh, white people <laughs> and white men, so that they they think twice about their actions and um, and put diversity and inclusion as a priority instead of uh, a nice to have at the end of the day.
like, I remember reading the one about Russell Simmons and like, okay, yeah, he did that and it was horrible and terrible. And, you know, there's been stories, if you know hip-hop culture, there's been stories for years about several of the people that we consider great. But what really stood out to me, if I don't know if you guys read that story, right. was The Driver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's The Driver. Yep. It's Harvey Weinstein's assistant. And I think it's societal because I'm like, you know, you think about what really is what people really what really governs people's actions is you know there's always like you said that mob mentality that want to be accepted right and so people do things based on external reaction that they assume so if you said move over boy or move over n-word in 1962 nobody would bat an eye you say it now there'd be a different societal reaction right in in certain stances so i think it is literally up to that mob mentality to force the societal reaction to change because if somebody puts their hands up somebody's skirt or, so, you know, something like in what we've seen in these stories and you've watched these other complicit players, in every story there's an enabler or several enablers. I mean, look at Roy Moore right now. and There's people that don't even believe these people and what they're saying. That That's an enablement there. So I think that it's it's micro moments, and it's the same way we talk about racial. So I, I, it is hard. You, you're talking about getting up in a locker room, giving a, a soliloquy about <laughs> consent and you know feminism. It's hard for people to hear you, right? But I think in smaller micro moments and smaller things, even from the way we raise our kids, you know, I'm very I'm very cognizant of how I raise my daughter, and you know, even when people say, "Well, don't 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 get too dirty," I'm like, why? Why can't she get too dirty? You know, you put these things, you know, why can't you be a risk taker and jump over a puddle? That goes into who you are, who you become, and all of these societal structures are set up to condone and and teach us to be complicit. So I think it shouldn't be on you, and I think you're really brave for saying that. You're even trying to think of ways that you can connect with people and and show them the error in their ways or whatever. But um, I think it's definitely more about what we have to do in micro moments as a society because there's been things that are not accepted. People used to sit there and watch people swing from a tree. Well, <laughs> and that was cool. Well, well, like that was like, oh, okay, it's Saturday night. Yeah, you know what I mean. And this is what we're doing, and and that is not the case now. That would be atrocious, you know, in some parts. Hopefully, all parts too. But you know, it's just I think it's it's a lot to take on yourself. But thinking in smaller moments is is how we can really make a difference. That's great. Um, I, 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 I well, I I agree with that, but I struggle with the idea that speaking up for fuckery when it's based on a situational moment. Um, I struggle with that. And we're friends, but I feel very comfortable saying this to you. If it was, if it were race based for you, you would want somebody to say something every moment regardless of whether or not somebody would double down. I find with my experiences dealing with men and um, toxic sexual uh, culture interactions, sexual harassment, um, seeing men in my family act in a way that is just wrong. Like I feel the same reaction that you have for race, I have for race and, and gender. And I always go back to that moment when I was 15, working at the label, and these grown-ass 20, mid-20s to, to 30s men are sitting there, and 
asking me to do something so they they could see up under my little girl skirt. Right. So 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 like in that like in that moment it would have been situational where it's like oh well you know all the dudes is here so you know I don't want to say nothing but you know if if we talking to the lot you know I think at every moment where you feel like something is wrong if it is in you to say something then it should be in you to say something if if you are going to be pro women if you are going to be pro black people if you are going to be pro what the fuck ever you want to be pro and you want to stand for something you always have to stand for it regardless it's not somebody doubling down on their fuckery is not your business what your business is is to make sure you separate yourself from the fuckery so for every time that we talk about all the time, every time you stay silent, you are accepting that this is okay. And what they're saying is that in this moment, this is okay because I don't want to cause a risk between us. And I'm also very saying that that is a tough situation to be in when you're with your boys, your homies, or whatever. But I feel very strongly that if we're going to request that from people when we speak about race, that we also need to speak about that when it comes to gender differences and sexual harassment and sexual assault because it's not just these men that like I felt like last week everybody just kept talking about what these men look like and I'm like bruh I I've had in recent years serious ass conversations with my dad about uncomfortable positions he put me in when he would holler out his window while we're driving down the street to to women and ask him, do you recognize like people say that shit to me? But he would never think that. And we, we I would be in the car in the, in the seat right next to him. Yo, baby, what you let me get you in the first of all, you're married. Second of all, you're my dad. Third of all, super uncomfortable because now she's cussing you and me out. You know what I'm saying? Like, and like recognizing like no one ever said that to him because if you took my godfather, it was okay to do it. If you took my uncle, it's okay to do it. And the only t- and then to have the nerve to turn around in the same situation is don't you ever bring a guy like that home? Like you mean like you? You know what I'm saying? So like I I want to be firm with my stance on that is that it's not okay to only bring it up when it's situational and that as as a, as as a woman as you know, even within a friendship, like, I expect the men that say that they're going to protect me and protect our relationship as friends, family, whatever, that because we're cool and because we're close, we must always stand up for people that look like me based on my chromosomes and based on my complexion. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and, I mean, it can be rough because of things like toxic masculinity and everything, you know, and what men do tend to do is go to this extreme where it's like, well, if if it got out of hand, then I would say something or whatever. But we have to, you know, we have to look at the the kind of levels of trash, you know, because Yes, like yes. Lit- it's like Seriously. litter and like hefty bag trash. You know, I mean, you yeah, I mean, because because I can say, I can say that every guy has gone through a point where his friend has hollered at, you know, tried to holler at uh, a young lady or an older lady or whatever, and then they don't get the reaction they want, 
and they saw our customer out for like, 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 what is that? You know, it doesn't make sense. It's not cool. It's totally unnecessary. But one, society has kind of taught us for a long time that that's all right. Two, we don't want to, you know, be called out by our friends or whatever. Like, you know, no one wants that. Like, no matter the situation, the uncomfortable conversations are exactly what they are. They're uncomfortable. But they do need to, you know, they do need to be had. And I'm not even trying to say this from a standpoint of where, oh, I get it right every time. This, this, no. I have to do better myself. I have to, there's a, you know, a lot of things. But men know men are trash because of, like, Kyle, what you said, your father said, don't bring this kind of guy. We know. I know. Guys are so, you know, guys are so protective over their daughters because they know the men are trash. Yes. You know, so instead of just like acknowledging or situationally acknowledging the fact that men are trash, we need to do a lot of work to stop being trash. Therapy is really all. Why are we waiting until you're 22 to teach you about, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it, you you realize you raise a little human up to blank page, right? When they get here, they learn this behavior. So it's just like, I think we need to think deeper about the origins of, again, like I said, why? how does this come to be? It's just like an accepted norm that now, oh, when a guy gets 14, all he's going to care about is disrespecting women. And, and I think also it's important, I, one thing I want to call out is that a lot of this stuff is sexual in nature but it's um it is born of violence and control yeah and so even like looking up your skirt and things like that that is sec- a sexual act but it is all about you know it's a violent and controlling act to have to see someone in a place where they have not gave you consent to do so so i think those are really the drivers behind this and that is is ingrained or, you know, accepted in men at a very early age. He only hits you because he likes you. What? Hell no. You know what I mean? Like, I think that we need to think a lot more about the origins. I don't, I mean, I'm just going to, like, put this last comment. I think, yes, I think it's control. And I think it may not go to the level of someone hitting you, but, you know, I've been sexually humiliated before, and it was in front of, a group of people, men and women, and um, it was accepted. It was complicit. No one said anything. I had to stand up for my own defense. And I think if it's if it's said and if it's sometimes you don't have the the power. Like I can say all I can say, but sometimes I would I would have liked in that moment like a guy to be like that's not fucking right. You know, despite the situation. So I, I, I understand where you're coming from, where it's situational. You don't know how you're going to react until you see it or whenever it happens. But I want I, that question came from, is like, when you see it, what do you do? I mean, so I, I, I think um, for, for clarity, um, one, it's, it's, and I'm not backtracking, but the, the situation that we were in. You doubling down. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, because Are I, you I think, I think you, you just you just mentioned like a very specific situation where you're seeing someone in duress, um, and what is it that you that you do in that situation? I think for most men who have sisters, 
or and and it's unfortunate that you even have to put it into that context but for most men who have a close loved one who is um a woman or or a girl they'll probably step up in that situation because you're actually seeing that person hurt and i think we were talking about this in the last episode where for a lot of dudes who quote unquote have a somewhat healthy relationship with their mother or their grandmother or their aunt like they associated sexual harassment and and rape and all these things with with violence with explicit violence a woman is crying a woman is hurting hitting a woman right so now and i think one of the good things about these stories that are coming out is that where if you care you're able to read and see that it's not just the violence it's also the mental it's also the emotional um uh, aggression that that's happening that has the same um traumatic effects on a on a woman so i think it's you know in the situation that i was talking about with with goddess was like i was in in a car with about 12 other dudes talking and one of the dudes was talking it was like a mercedes you know the mercedes um no it's like 15 um so so we were we were coming back from our first here to me um, and so like and but you're you're right which is which is like because at the end of the day if it's societal then it is those micro moments that lead to greater moments because if no one says in that situation well actually she shouldn't have to give you no ass because she had on sweats like that's like it's it was that conversation so it's like in in those moments because those stereotypes are spread like you know what i'm saying like if if a girl looks at you a certain way she want to give you some ass like there are all these un they're they're not unspoken rules but they're spoken rules that happen amongst men where they enter into these situations and automatically think that they're um they're privileged to a woman to whatever they want based off of based off that but you're both right I just want to direct all these men that think this fuck shit to go to to go to uh, make love dot make love not porn dot com and learn yourself about like healthy sexual relationships and I'll just leave it there because way over on time. I mean, but yeah, we're 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 way right over. But uh, you know, if we're also talking about that, that's that's that situation. I think unhealthy sex and. No, no, I mean, but, like, if we're, if we're, if we're being real, like, unhealthy sex and communities, shit, fuck, society in general is an epidemic. Like, because, like, a lot of people just aren't privy to what healthy is for this moment. Thank you, Gary and Goddess, for joining us. As you guys know, you can check us out at uh, MixedCompanyPodcast.com. Uh, Mixed Company Podcast on Facebook or Ask Mixed Company on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and we will holler at y'all. Peace. Bye, guys. Have a great <laughs> Yes, happy everything to everyone. And let's get this two 2018 in. Word. Let's do it. Peace.
All right. So we hope you guys enjoyed what you've heard so far. Like I said, we had quite the conversation with our guests. Um, So we're going to go ahead and pause here uh, or not pause. We're going to go ahead and actually just exit out of part one of season two's season finale, uh, episode 39. Um, And then join us on part two so you can hear the rest of what we've got to say. Talk to you guys soon.